We have such weirdness around sex, don't we? We're like, you couldn't possibly just be, you know, using your body in this way or you must either have some sort of trauma or you must hate it or whatever. But of course, like any job, it's boring some days, it's thrilling <laughs> right. other days. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're joined by director Sophie Hyde to talk about their new sex-positive and sex-work-affirming film, Good Luck, Leo Grand. The entire movie is about the relationship between a retired teacher, played by Emma Thompson, who is amazing, and a sex worker, played by Daryl McCormick. To be honest, this came across to us through our podcast network, and we were intrigued for two reasons. One... Emma Thompson's amazing. Two, <laughs> we were curious, you know, how are you going to deal with this subject matter? Are you going to do a good job with it? And to our delight, it is a beautifully crafted film. It's funny, it's vulnerable, and surprising how nuanced, lovable, and then ultimately human these two characters are portrayed. Unfortunately, Emily can't be with us this week because she is on an airplane right now. <laughs> so she was unable to attend for this. So today we are extremely excited to welcome the director of the film on our show to talk about it. Sophie Hyde is an award-winning filmmaker of both narrative and documentary films. She is a founding member of a film collective called Closer Productions, and she lives and works in South Australia and makes provocative and intimate films and television. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. And so are you in Australia currently? I'm not. I'm in New York City, sitting in a hotel wow. room. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I see. Traveling all around for this. That's right. Yeah. There are a lot of... A lot of interesting themes that I want us to talk about on this episode. And I think to start out, let's just start with the biggest, most obvious one, which is talking about sex work. So in the film, you know, it centers around the relationship between a woman and Leo Grand, the sex worker that she's hired. And now sex work is still hotly debated. People have a lot of strong feelings about it, makes a lot of people uncomfortable and so I was just curious if we could start out with what inspired you to take on this project? What excited you about it in that area? Hmm. I mean, firstly, I think it was just the initial concept of a, a woman who, you know, was trying to have good sex for the first time in her life and had hired a sex worker. That was going to be played by Emma Thompson, of course. Like <laughs> there was this yeah. combination. Yeah, I w I'm really interested in intimacy and connection between people and that being physical as well as emotional, you know. And so the idea of two people in a room kind of going through that was one thing. I guess the layers of kind of professional intimacy that start to happen when it's somebody who's a sex worker, where it's their job, it's not a um, romantic sort of situation. It's somebody that's trying to achieve something, somebody that's trying to offer something. And there's a transactional sort of nature to it. But there's also the desire to be present and real with another person that, that can all be contained at the same time. That was very interesting to me. And I guess I've always been quite fascinated by 
all kinds of professional intimacy. And as a director, you deal with it a lot, right? Like it's part of what I do all the time and what actors do all the time as well. So sex workers, that seemed like um, a, a very similar and very familiar thing, you know? It's like, how do you sit opposite somebody and see what it is that they want, even though they might not be saying exactly what they want? Or how do you navigate the, the weirdness that everyone brings into a room, particularly if it comes to their bodies and sex, as well as just the kind of dynamic of, of two individuals and what they bring into the room? So those things were fascinating to me. I, of course, then wanted to also work with and, and talk to people with lived experience of sex work. So we did loads of that and um, talked to people that came from really varied backgrounds and had had a very different experience from each other and also kind of found some similarities and we found some people that became very significant consultants for us and we read a lot of all of those things, of course, but they were creatively important to us in terms of sort of freeing us up to tell a very specific story about Leo one single um, sex worker, you know, one single man and his experience. Yeah, that's hard because you don't want to pigeonhole that story or ever try to make the claim of, oh yeah, this this particular story of sex work that we're showing represents all sex workers and how they all approach their job and how they all feel about their job. In that process of mm. consulting with actual sex workers for this project, was there anything that you learned that surprised you? Mm. That's a really great question. It's funny, I think, any time that there is people that have been underrepresented or excluded from sort of being on screen a lot, then there is always this fear or this desire to kind of represent everybody that kind of happens. Or there's a feeling, I'm sure, from people that have that are sex workers of like, is this close to my story or is it far from my story? And, and I can imagine how that would feel. You know, at the moment, you know, we've seen so many stories about lawyers and doctors and it's fine. Like you can have the good ones, the bad ones, the kind of boring job, the thrilling, exciting, I'm the best at this job. Um, uh, but when you just have one and there's hardly been any on screen, it, it, it does feel like an added pressure. And we tried to free ourselves from that pressure a little bit. What surprised me, I think there's this, you know, sex workers say like sex work is work is a really important thing to talk about, that it's a job. And that means that you do it for money. That doesn't mean it's the only reason you do it. It might be. You might go and you just really need the money and you do this. It might be that you also take pleasure in it and or get other things back from it. Or it might be that it's threatening or dangerous or whatever if it's not look, if people aren't being looked after. Um, but I think that really sunk in for me the more I spoke to people where I was like, oh, it's just not an intellectual idea. It's really important. And actually it made the film better, I think. I love that he, it's his job. He's trying to be really good at it and he is really good at it and he enjoys his job and he's, he's well suited to it. But he also, at the end, he can have a transformational experience, but he walks away onto another job. And I loved that it wasn't a romantic story, that it, was, it could have significance between the two of them, but it wasn't like they're going to fall in love or he needs to be rescued or all these ideas. And that came a bit from, from those conversations. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And that's something that I, I think I really appreciated about the film was that we got to see the humanity of that and that it didn't fall into those tropes, like you were mm -hmm. saying, that it wasn't just, oh, and they have to fall in love or he has to be like, oh, actually, now I don't need to do this anymore or whatever it is. Exactly. It was kind of fun to play with the expectations of those tropes, I think, mm. you know, and the expect right. you know, the tropes of, of romantic comedy even or yeah, any sex worker stuff we've ever seen. 
Mm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And when you make that comparison to, you know, all the shows we have about lawyers and doctors or police officers or, or whatever it is, that in those, you also have that mix of like, this person's just in it for the money and this person's really passionate. And most of our main characters in those shows are so passionate about their job as a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. Mm. And so that mixing of passion with, but also I get paid a lot of money for this is just normal to us. Yeah. But when it comes to sex work, I think it's like hard for people to accept that. It's like, no, they must only be doing it for the money or they're only doing it because they're a sex addict or something like that. Mm, and so, Because we have such weirdness around sex, don't we? We're like, you couldn't possibly just be, do, you know, using your body in this way or, <laughs> you know, you must either have some sort of trauma or you must hate it or whatever. But of course, like any job, it's like it's boring some days, it's thrilling <laughs> right. other days, you know. Um, yeah, it's a full, full gamut. Yeah. So and we see that reflected in the film that right from the beginning, we start to see that even though Emma Thompson's character, she proactively went out to hire a sex worker, but she comes in with a lot of these negative preconceived ideas about what it means to do sex work, why someone would do it. Like, what do you feel like your perception of sex work was going into this before diving into this research process? I think I've always been aware that there must be different layers and parts of sex work. Some where people feel like a lot where people have, you know, great autonomy over what they do and, and decision making, just like that's what that's what it is to be have a job. You need it, you also choose it, you know. There are of course people that feel like they are really badly treated in sex work and that exists for a reason. It's like, okay, you have a building site, right? It's a dangerous place to be. But that's why we have regulations. So when you make something illegal or a criminal, it's very hard to look after the people who are in it. And so therefore there becomes this other world, which is where people are really mistreated. And so I think it's important to sort of recognise that, you know, that we put regulations in place for other things and anything where you interact with the public. As a barista, you can have a really terrible experience with somebody, you know, or you can have a pretty boring experience or you can have a really good one. <laughs> Like it's, I feel I repeat myself, but it is true. And so, yeah, I don't know what my impression was before, except to say that I find it really interesting thinking about someone creating a character, trying to be good at their job at the same time, trying to find real intimacy and where their kind of own sexual interests cross into that as well. Like these things are all fascinating to me, more per se than the industry as such. Right. right. Yeah. And so to speak about the legality of it a little bit, I mean, this is absolutely something that we talked about a couple of years ago. We had Alice Little on the show and talked about how, you know, protections and legalization is what matters, not, oh, we need programs to help get people out of this, that that's, mm -hmm. that's not actually as helpful as the people doing it think it is. Mm -hmm. But on that yeah. subject of legality, though, that does, I think, influence how we see these activities and these characters. And so, for example, if you think about uh, smoking weed, you know, marijuana mm -hmm. in movies, I feel like when I view a movie, when, you know, when I viewed movies in the early 2000s or late 90s where people are smoking pot, there's this like, oh, they're doing something illegal. And so there's this yeah. little bit of a, oh, they've also got to watch their back. They've got to be a little careful, whatever. And now, at least in a lot of states in the U.S., it's just this, yeah, whatever, everyone does that and it's no big thing. But that's really mm. changed the relationship that viewers have to watching that. And so I guess I was curious about, one, what in the context of the film, it never gets addressed. But what is the legality of Leo Grand's position? And is that 
you know, was that a concern? Was that something that you had to navigate in doing this? And then also just kind of how you think that changes based on where your viewers are watching from, if it's legal or not legal in their country. Mm -hmm. And I'm no expert on this. And what I would say about that is like, there are great sex workers who speak about this stuff. And, and like, I would just be listening to them about this because truly there are some excellent advocates and they're the ones that really kind of follow this. And there are excellent sex worker-led organizations in every country because it is actually quite complex, like what's needed and what's um, helpful in terms of legalization or de decriminalization. It's not as straightforward as all mm -hmm. of that. And, and yet you can find that. You can find those people in every place and they speak better than I ever um, will. Except to say that sex workers have always existed and they've always existed, you know, in the shadows, of course, but also out loud. And um, there's always ways that you can get by with making something okay. Like Leo in our film, he's like, I sell my time with you, right? I sell my time and we can choose what to do. So it's not actually, there's no legal issues with it. Hmm. Um, anyone can choose to do that as long as they're not soliciting in um, the UK. It's funny because it leads to all sorts of things like all this terminology like high class escort. Right. And I'm like, what a weird term. Like, mm -hmm. that's one thing that you start to notice when you do a movie like this. Like, why is it called a high class escort? Like, trying so hard to separate it from some other thing that's debased. Mm -hmm. Do you know? When actually, why do we think that our bodies and sex is so shameful and something that we should hide. I find that that very interesting and that kind of terminology around it, which language is always changing, right? And anyone can use any word they want for themselves. I'm like all up for it. Um, but I do like the use of the word sex worker because it is the words <laughs> sex worker because <laughs> it is, you know, it's like it's an industry of people that are doing all kinds of things that interact with sex and oftentimes don't as well. So that actually is a perfect segue into talking about another huge theme in the film, which to me came across as sort of the, you know, we have the one coin and on opposite sides of the coin is is pleasure and shame, really, around mm -hmm. sex. Like they're so intrinsically linked. And so, you know, Emma Thompson's character has a hard time even accepting that she might feel pleasure. And it's wrapped up in it could be because possibly she doesn't feel like she deserves to feel pleasure. Some of it is wrapped up in she thinks that she's incapable of feeling pleasure in, in certain regards. And so, you know, even for people who don't feel that as extremely as she does in the film, this is something a lot of people wrestle with and a lot of people struggle with. Based on my experience working with clients, I would even go so far to say is sometimes this area of sex is more controversial than even the sex worker topic. So I just want to open up this topic. You know, can you tell us more about your thoughts and like your approach in exploring the topic of pleasure in this film? Yeah, like I really believe in pleasure and alongside the sex worker research, I looked at pleasure and pleasure activism as well. And I think it's really fascinating that there's so many people who've been denied the idea that they can have pleasure for so many different reasons. One thing that I'll, I'll come at this in an unusual way, which is that as a filmmaker, I spent a long time trying to work out how to write characters and particularly female characters. And when I say that, I mean people raised as women, you know, where there was this kind of idea of a, a kind of the, the hero's story, which was they have a, a character has a really strong want. And then there's a story about whether they get their want or their need. And, you know, there's obstacles to it. And I would always be like, oh, this feels really difficult because this character 
I feel like they're not exactly sure what they want or they really have competing wants, wants that conflict with each other. And I felt as somebody that was raised as a woman, I found it very hard to work out whether my wants were true or they were what someone else wanted or whether they were what I was supposed to want. All these, you know, layers of bullshit. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so for Nancy, like the idea that she, A, goes after something like this is really amazing. But B, she goes in with this list, you know, these are the things I want to try. Right. And one thing that she gets to do is uncover, like, you can just take time trying things and even seeing what you want. And that even the discovery of what you want is a big, you know, is not a given. It's not just like, you know what I've always wanted? A blowjob. And let's go get it. No, actually, wants are like, we have to work them out. We have to get there. And so for me, she's kind of amazing because she's abrasive. She's unsatisfied. But she goes after something. But one thing that happens to her is like, there's a goal of the orgasm, you know, that she doesn't even know that she can get. And when she finally gets it, spoilers, um, <laughs> when she finally gets it, it's not a goal that she's like had to achieve. It's not like the pinnacle, the top of the mountain. It's something that she can access, that she knows she can access again. And that's interesting to me, the idea that our bodies can do all sorts of things. It's not like we kicked the goal, we won. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. yes, that was something that I really appreciated in the film was kind of her journey. Just like you said, learning that pleasure isn't just, oh, check that box. Now I've done it. Never going to do it again versus finding out what are the things I, I like to do and that I want to keep doing and that I now have access to or I've given myself permission to have access to these things in a way that mm. I didn't before. And that's really that was something I, re I really appreciated in watching this film. Isn't it funny how we have an idea about sex now is like how it's supposed to look is really clear to us. Like we've been raised and even more so now maybe of this idea of this is what sex looks like. This is how it should look. When we're doing it, we see ourselves doing it. Ugh. And that's fine. Like you can get off on that, you know, <laughs> no shame, <laughs> yeah. but guys, but, but also like, what about the thing where you just work out what feels good? Like I wish any gift you would want to give to a young person would be like, I wish that you could just experience what what this all feels like before you knew what it looked like. <laughs> you know? mm, oh, wow. gosh. You put that so well. You put that so well because my personal opinion is that there's always an aspect of performance to sex, but mm. it's sort of like what the percentage balance is, I suppose. <laughs> and I do think we do end up with a, a weirdly skewed sexual education that puts so much of the emphasis on our performance of it as opposed to maybe our experience of it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, again, to dive into this nuance, there is in the film this struggle with even giving pleasure, really, especially for Emma Thompson's character. You know, she struggles with her feeling that, but I should be focusing on giving pleasure, even though I'm afraid that maybe I won't be able to give that to someone who's like so much younger and so much more attractive than me. And I think even without this layer of the transactional relationship there, this is still a challenge for a lot of us. I, I hear so many people who, again, I think in the absence of even knowing what it is that they want or what it is that they enjoy, often default to this sense of, oh, well, what turns me on is what turns you on. You know, oh, what turns me on is turning you on or, or pleasing you. And while that's not necessarily a lie for a lot of people, I, I do think that we're sometimes socialized to, to think that it's really, really selfish to have pleasure that's separate from giving our partner pleasure. And so I, I guess in touching in on that, is there anything that you're hoping that people would take away from looking at that particular relationship in this film where sort of the, the directions of who's actually giving pleasure are maybe a little bit, shall we say, 
sometimes not always clear. There's so many layers in that. Well, you just asked me. It's so good. I'm like, isn't it interesting that Nancy is paying for this experience and yet she still has the moment where she said she she's like, Am I okay? You know, am I I'm I'm not a disappointment, basically, and she can't believe it. Even though it's transactional. We're so indoctrinated with some ideas there. And of course, like giving pleasure can be a preference, a sexual preference. And some people really love it. And in fact, in our film, I think Leo genuinely has a sexual preference towards giving the giving of pleasure, the watching of somebody have pleasure. And one thing I love about queer community as opposed to heterosexual community is that there can be, there's sometimes an embracing and an enjoyment of those different positions, you know, those different preferences and like really going and leaning into them a little bit rather than an expectation that it should always work the same way for everybody. Now I've forgotten what your question actually was. <laughs> Can you ask me again? I just, I got so taken up in some of your ideas. Yeah, it's, it's actually a little bit more of a general question that, that sort of speaks to this pleasure topic in general. But we were just curious about, is there any particular message about pleasure that you're hoping that people take away from watching this relationship in the film? Yeah, pleasure is an interesting thing. I mean, I think it's okay for us to go after pleasure, to find it, to seek it in the everyday, right? Um, I think there's no reason that we shouldn't have it. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. It's a great thing. I also think it sh shifts and changes like any dynamic between two people. In terms of giving or receiving or accepting something yourself, it doesn't have to be one way forever. That's the beauty of relationships. They should change and shift and move inside a conversation or whatever. You know, this woman who's a sort of sex and well-being educator said to me once, and I think it's probably quite a famous idea, she was like, after you have a sexual encounter or any encounter between two people or more, if you thought of it as the campsite rule, we'd all be much better off, which mm -hmm. is like, let's leave it better than we found it. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I wish that I was told that as a young person. I'm like, wouldn't that be a great goal? It can be anything as long as we leave it better. Like, mm -hmm. so nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got this clear theme of... Nancy of Emma Thompson's character struggling with her own feelings of shame and resistance to experiencing pleasure, things like that. But we also, and I'm going to try not to spoil too much, but we also learn little bits about Leo's past and some struggles that he's maybe mostly recovered from or has more proactively worked through, but also getting taught to have a lot of shame around his own sexuality and things like that. And I guess appreciated that we got that too, that we were able to to walk that line between our sex worker character is seems very emotionally mature and very put together, but we also see that he's had pain too. It's not like, oh, it's just always been easy for him. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious if you could speak a little bit to the process of kind of developing that character and trying to walk that line. Yeah, it was really important to me that we presented Leo as the as the lead, you know, as one of the leads. Um, as the leading man, let's call him. And also really important that he was, <laughs> well, this is funny. He's not just there to service Nancy's story, although he's there to service Nancy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in terms of narratively, he, he's more than that. So, you know, the opening where we, we meet Leo first and we're with him and it's really an attempt to kind of point outside the frame. It's about that there is more going on for a character like this than what we're going to do in this very formally restrained movie. It was also really important to me, like you said, that even though he's become very good at what he does, he's really embraced something about what his talents are and, and he's worked hard at it. 
that doesn't mean that it's all been gorgeous and smooth sailing and everything's been great for him. It also doesn't mean that he's just had some big, huge, like terrible life to be there as a sex worker. So the line of finding kind of the, a past where shame had been put on him and um, where his, his desire for pleasure was kind of squashed in some way and yet where he kind of rose out of that and still continued to, to find something that he was very good at um, was important. And it, it was one of the things that kept shifting and changing until it landed. And I think it only really landed once Daryl was cast and we had been talking to sex workers for a while and suddenly it was like, okay, yeah, okay, here's, here's where we think the story is now that we know who Leo is because an actor like Daryl will just bring kind of a certain quality to something and he needs to be able to access that story too. And so, yeah, it, it was right until then and I didn't want it to be like a big reveal, like boom, boom, you know, right. um, but it needed to feel real and present and connected to who he was as a character, like why he is who he is now. And, and kind of his mum and his, well, let's not talk about it. That sure. won't give it too much away. <laughs> Don't want to give it too much away, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, I do think it was important that, yeah, it's not like this huge big reveal. It's not like it doesn't take on this tone of like, oh, he's been a broken doll the whole time. Like mm. you've, at least the sense that I got was very much when he's talking about the difficult things from his past. It's like, yeah, it's still painful, but he's not broken. Like he's not yes. completely unhealed or unrecovered. Like clearly there's some growth and resilience here instead of yes. just yeah just being broken. I, I think of him as a character who's done a lot of work on himself. It's a weird thing to say, but <laughs> someone who's really thought about how he is with people and and what his own kind of baggage is, you know, he's he's done that. And I think there still is a lot of hurt inside that when you have when when something's happened to you at a young age, do you know, that it's it sits with you, but doesn't mean that, you know, he hasn't, yeah, been able to move forward from that. Before we go on to a couple more topics like consent and talking about how human these characters are, we want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsors for this show and some ways that you can support this show so that we can continue to keep this information coming to everyone out there for free. So please take a moment, check those out. And if any seem interesting to you, go follow the links because that directly helps us. When you visit Arizona, Time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy, 
or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. So I want to talk about consent. And I actually want to cut to, so this gets explored in the story quite a bit, but I want to start with talking about on set and managing consent of the actors and the crew and everyone themselves. And I know that this is something that in the entertainment industry is relatively new, right? Like past five years. And I know for myself in the past five years, I suddenly know six intimacy coordinators for friends who weren't intimacy coordinators before, you know? So like there's been an acknowledgement that there is a real need to be very mindful and very intentional and very careful when we're throwing real human people into situations where they're performing sex or getting very, very intimate with each other. And so I suppose when you read a script like this and you're starting to get into pre-production for this process, it's like, where do you even begin knowing the content of what this story is going to be like and what what kind of you know situations you're throwing your actors into? Hmm. Yeah, great question. Yeah, I mean, I love the rise of the intimacy coordinator. I think it's brilliant. I think there's been such an abuse of power so often in our industry and and I think that actors can feel like they can, you know, be really clear about their boundaries now is just going to make better and better work and we've already seen it. You know, the shows that are using great intimacy coordinators in the films are just making the most beautiful work and I think that's because as a director you get to say truly this is what I want and that actors get to say this is what my boundaries are for real and no one's upset about it but you work out where the two marry and meet and suddenly it's like fantastic everyone's there's none of that weird tiptoeing around everything that happens you know um i were or i guess there are some directors who would just point you know take your shop off do this or whatever <laughs> and there are some who are like afraid to ask for that you know mm. <laughs> the whole gamut mm-hmm. of that we didn't actually use a an a a intimacy coordinator for this project. We talked to an amazing one and I think we embody lots of the ideas of intimacy coordinators actually in our process too. I knew that Emma, whatever she wanted to do, she was going to be strong about and sure about and she's at a point where she can be really clear about that. So I didn't have any concerns about that. But I at first was really keen to make sure that when Daryl was consenting to whatever we were doing, it wasn't just the consent of I'm in the room with Dame Emma Thompson and she wants right. me to do it. I feel like or that makes I, it more complicated. Yeah. It is. And that's, I know, <laughs> having been on the actor's side, you do those, those mental gymnastics, right? Of, well, I'm not really comfortable with taking my top off in this situation or having this person touch me in this situation, but this is the job and they could replace me at any moment. And if things go awry, I could just be out on the street, right? And especially if Emma Thompson's in the room staring at me. It really changes the way that you um, calculate those things. Exactly. And sometimes it's just like that to please a director. You're acutely aware as a director too. Like, are they just saying yes to me because they want to please me? And so that that conversation about consent was constant. It wasn't just a like, here's the question, there's the answer. It was like, is this for sure what we want to do? And I had to trust that Daryl was an adult as well and professional adult who could make these decisions as long as I was asking enough and asking in the right way. And he felt like he was in control just as much as we did, you know. 
And I don't like it as well when when people treat actors not like they're grown-ups, you know, where it's like he won't want to do this in, in a few weeks or oftentimes it would be with women. You know, actually sometimes actors do want to do these things, like show a story the way it should be shown and, and are willing to use their bodies in this way and making the choice for them is not right either. Mm. So we were just very frank with each other and we had a deal. We were very frank with what we felt and I was very clear with them, like you never have to do anything. Like, A, do you want to do nudity? Yes. B, today, do you want to do nudity? Hmm. Yes. Is there anything that you're not feeling good about today or you don't want to do? You know, that was always on the table. And the final bit of the pact was like, once we're in the edit suite, we've got other material. If you don't want it in, we will take it out. And that was always there because to me that just ensures that they're doing it in a way that they are the most free and comfortable because they know they've got the power to take it out at the end. I love the film with the nudity I, and I really love um, the way that it feels ordinary in the film at times, but I'd, it, yeah, I could have told it without that too, like if that was what it took. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So now on the subject of consent, not just in, in real life with the actors, but how it's portrayed in the film, something that, that really struck me right in our first scene with the two of them was how smoothly... Daryl's character, Leo, navigates consent with Nancy, uh, especially in that first interaction. We see him check in with her a lot. He keeps kind of checking in throughout the process, but he does it in a way that feels sexy and, and confident and natural. So first, I just want to say bravo. Well done. I, I love that we have some examples of look, here's actual consent happening instead of the movie thing of like, oh, as soon as these two characters realize they're into each other nothing it's said and it's all just music and they're moving around and we see all these close-up shots of legs and toes and whatever and and we don't see any of that negotiation so first of all i love that i love that we're getting some more examples of realistic sexy confident consent conversations happening and then part of that though is that you know the backbone of consent is in explicit communication but in reality a lot of it also comes down to the nonverbal cues you know <laughs> Uh, Emma Thompson and, and Daryl McCormick do that so well in the scene. But I was curious for you, how did that process go? Like, because I imagine seeing the actors do it is going to change some of, oh, you know what? This one doesn't need to be a line or, hey, let's add in a line here. Or kind of how did you approach mm -hmm. that to try to craft a, a scene that's realistic, that doesn't feel like a, you know, an infomercial mm -hmm. for consent or something like that? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like, I know we have this really funny version of consent, don't we? Where it's like, we're going to sit down and have a very thorough conversation with a, with our like, you know, notebooks and sort right. of like, what do you like? And well, actually, that could be kind of cool. I'm not, I'm not averse <laughs> to that either. Um, but the truth is, you know, like consent is all about finding and and making sure that there's a continued enthusiastic sort of yes about things. And I think that enthusiastic yes can be nonverbal as well as verbal. You know, I think we. We do know, we mostly know if we're being, if we're paying attention. You know, I think there's lots of instances where people don't care about that and have proven to not care, but we do know. I think there's something about showing consent on screen in action where it can be very charged, you know. There's an electricity in it when they start to speak about it. And uh, what I love about this story in the end is that it's not just Leo who leads Nancy through a kind of consent process and also... You know, just that's because he's good at it. <laughs> he's good at what mm -hmm. he does. But he 
he shows how to do that and she takes it up and she does it as well. So later she's like, can you take your top off? I mean, she's paid him, remember? So Mm -hmm. some people will be like, I can have whatever I want. But she even does it. She kind of, he sort of, yeah, he's shown her in action something that she kind of responds to. And I guess it's just empathy as well. It's like just making sure that the other person is feeling good or wants what's on offer or is comfortable with what you want. Um, we didn't actually talk a humongous about, amount about consent. It's really important to me. I've made a couple of things that were deeply about consent. One in particular was a TV show in Australia called The Hunting, which was about teenagers who shared explicit images of their friends online. And that is about consent on a whole other level. And so mm. the deep dive that I went into for that um, was still really, you know, on my mind. And one thing I love being around people that are younger than me is like consent is an idea for me that's always been there, but has always been tainted by a little bit of the way I grew up, which was like, that makes it a bit unsexy. Like surely you just want to do it and you just want someone to know what you want without talking about it and all of that. And even the kind of like, it's good to sort of not always show how much you want something or all these weird things Mm. that we did. Mm -hmm. But being around younger people, I'm like, oh, my God, I actually see you doing this and actively participating in it in a really cool, sexy way. Like, you feel good in it. And, like, I'm so thrilled. I'm like, yes, guys, go, do it. And I think it just, for some people, it's really natural. And if they're thinking about the person they're opposite, it's very natural, you know. But, yeah, we didn't intellectualize it very much. It just was very comfortable. Mm -hmm. And also I think it's, Words and gesture, touch, they're not separate in the film and they're not separate for Leo. One of the great things about Leo is he, one of the expectations that he shatters for Nancy is the idea that conversation and sex are two separate things. For mm. Leo, the continuum crosses over and mm. that's, that's blissful to watch. I love that you bring up the generational part of it because that was something that also really struck me in the film is... is this isn't necessarily the main focus of the story, but that there is almost a little bit of the generational clash of values around sex, around pleasure, around consent. You know, like Emma Thompson has that great, you know, that great line about now she knows people whose hobby is pole dancing. And like when she was growing up, it's like, who would do that? Right. And I thought it was really interesting that that was in there of just almost just showing just how things have changed generationally. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because obviously there are people in every generation of all of these kinds. Um, but I think for Nancy in particular, her feeling is that she, her feeling is that she is the way she is because of the age she grew up in. And in, in many ways, she's kind of accepted something, you know, that was common in that in that age group, and she's never really questioned it. Some people, for for whatever reason, like Leo, have to challenge. They have things happen to them that makes them challenge those things. And so I always feel it, it is a changing generational thing. And then I feel nervous about talking about it like that because I'm like, well, obviously there's all these incredible people across all ages and not everyone was a Nancy. I mean, Emma Thompson herself is nothing like Nancy. Right. <laughs> same age, same country, you know. Um, and I guess not everybody of Daryl's age is quite as good at all of this. Right. Um, but I do think it's great to like, I think we forget that we have an idea that we don't cross over. We have an idea that two people that don't seem alike can't find something. And and then when you sit opposite another human, right, there's all this stuff where you do connect and you are the same, even if your experiences are different. Yeah. 
So again, to, to focus back on, on Leo Grand, you know, this character, he has, he's just like so confident and so cool, but in this, you know, really gentle, like not very threatening way. He's very charming, especially when we first meet him. And it is interesting. He, he could have stayed that way the whole time. You know, it probably would have been easy to set up Nancy as our character on a journey. And Leo is just sort of the guardian angel fairy godmother who shows up to teach her all these lessons about sex and pleasure and then just flit <laughs> off into the night. And then now Nancy's fixed. But, you know, we do get glimpses sometimes of his own self-consciousness or of his own nervousness. You know, we have this interesting journey of slowly getting to learn more about his inner world, even though he's very actively trying to stay away from talking about his personal life. And so I suppose the question is, you know, how did you work to strike the balance within this character of like, you know, someone who can be there to address these issues we've been talking about, consent, pleasure, sex work, while also allowing them to be human and and flawed? Mm. Because he's a sex worker, you know, Leo comes into the room going, okay, what is it this this person wants in front of me? And oftentimes he's probably come across an idea of a fantasy that somebody wants. Okay, they want me to be kind of hot, in control, a little bit romantic. You know, he's looking at Nancy, he's going, this is probably what she she is after. And he's trying to create that character. That was really exciting for Daryl and I to do that, to be like, he's put on a, a performance. Um, but I love the moment when she first goes into the bathroom and he's like, mm-hmm. do I take my job off? How do I get good? Like, how am I going to show how I am? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that. we kind of like played up to that a lot because it was like, yeah, he, in that moment he is, got, he, you know, you could send him off to show something else about him from outside, a message from somebody or, I don't know, something dark or whatever. But to have him be so relatable, it's like, is this sexy? Would she want me in my knickers? That just kind of, like, I start to see, oh, there's a there's a guy under here who's trying to be good at this. Um, that's very pleasurable for me. And then I suppose there are times where Leo as a character can't help but step in when he believes something as well. There are moments in the film where Nancy's saying something that Leo doesn't agree with. And instead of just sticking to the fantasy, he just can't help but challenge her. And that's an enjoyable thing to watch as well, I think. Um, there's this some um, documentary theorist, Trinti Minha, she says, you know, you can't put everything in the frame. You have to point to outside the frame. And in a story like this with a character like Leo, where you're not going to go to his house, you know, you're not going to go out and find out all these things about him. You have to, like, suggest that there's more. Daryl and I talked a lot about what's going on inside Leo's head when he comes in. What does he expect that she wants? When she says to him, I've never touched someone like you before. He's mm. like, mm, someone like me? You know, like, what, what does she mean? And he's always trying to work that stuff out. And there's, he would have been in so many different situations, I think, in that moment where he's been chosen for a particular reason, whatever reason that is, and trying to work out what, where, where that comes from. So I found that exciting. And we do reveal a little bit about his past, but we don't reveal much about his current life. And I think a lot of people will have different thoughts going on in their heads and different versions of him. But we do do a little weird costuming thing, right, where he begins and he's got this yellow beanie on, you know, the first mm-hmm. shot he's wearing the yellow beanie. And he's got his, his work uniform on, his gorgeous outfit, Leo Grand outfit. But he takes the beanie off in the very first shot. And that was in some ways just an attempt by me to rather than like have him have a skateboard or like have him have a paintbrush <laughs> or something, it was like, 
there is another person here that he, you know, he's he's coming into the room as a character. Remember that he's coming in as a character. And when he comes back later, where he comes back on his own terms and, and um, for the fourth meeting, spoilers, um, <laughs> he's in his own clothes. He's not in his kind of Leo Grand clothes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that that changes throughout the film mm. in those different scenes. So that idea of, that you just mentioned of him kind of pushing back sometimes on on certain things that she says that that was also really interesting. Kind of going back to the consent thing, but there's that idea of like, oh, the mood's ruined now, mm. it, right? That that we tend to have this thing of like, oh, I don't want to say anything that's going to ruin the mood, and mm, that both mm-hmm. of them throughout the film do things that ruin the mood, but then they're able to get it back. It's like we're mm-hmm staying present enough with each other that we can have a more authentic connection because we're willing to push each other a little bit. Yeah, that, it actually that, gets better, right? right like right. every time, every time Leo doesn't just play the fantasy, mm-hmm. every time he says something that's true, that, you know, he's like, oh, I, I killed the mood. And she's like, I, was, I didn't think there was one. You know, it actually gets <laughs> goes further. It gets deeper. And it works, you know, like it's true that the more authentic we are with each other, the the better those connections are. And that doesn't, that's not in conflict with I've got my boundaries, I'm not going to tell you about my whole life. Like being authentic is different from revealing everything, you know. So I think every time he makes a mistake, I think it it, it works better what they're going through. And from a filmmaking perspective, it also strikes me because I think at the beginning of the film, you don't necessarily realize, oh, we're mostly going to be in this hotel room for most of the film, you know? And so it's like, I think as a viewer, we're kind of trained, oh, I'm watching this sort of sexy scene. It's it's interesting and arousing, but then someone makes a mistake and the root is mooned and then we're going to cut to something else, right? That's the end of the scene. That was the end of the interaction Then we're moving on. But no, we're staying and riding that wave of even when the conversation gets awkward and uncomfortable, we work through it and then we kind of come back to the mood and come back to the sexiness and come back to the pleasure and then something else happens. And I think that really struck me as, to be quite honest, maybe even a more realistic depiction of like what happens with sex and with negotiating sex is that it's not always, like Jay said, we're into each other, the clothes come off, the music swells and then we're done in the weird sheet, L-shaped sheet thing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so I, I guess I, I do want to touch on that for you as a filmmaker. I don't know, like in your like personal, you know, history, if you have a lot of experience of of being limited to like, we're, we're only staying in this one space, you know, we're mm-hmm. not cutting to a bunch of different places. So like we're really sticking with this one conversation and this one energy. Yeah, yeah. I like things to be a bit uncomfortable, I think. It's just naturally in me that the um, discomfort is kind of interesting. Um, I really enjoy restriction. So when I, uh, in that sounds really se- yeah. like sexual, that wasn't sexual at all. In filmmaking, I really enjoy restriction. Um, when I first heard this and I knew it was going to be in one room, I found that really exciting. I was like, yes, I, all I want to do is be with these two people and go further and further and further, you know, thrilling. My first drama film is a film called 52 Tuesdays and that was set every Tuesday for a year and we shot it every Tuesday for a year oh, within wow. a, a set of <laughs> rules and it was like every Tuesday had to be in the movie. We could only film on that day. It had to be in consecutive order. We wrote it as we went. Um, <sighs> it was a real learning process. But I really enjoy something about kind of the limitations that can we place on ourselves creatively and 
So in some ways, this had that too. It's like inside the formal constraint. Yes, we can't go out and see Leo. Like we can't see his life. We can't see her house and the character, you know, find her character through that. So how do we do it? How do we understand who she is? How do we understand what's important between them? Like to me, that's creative freedom. That's, you know, where it gets really gritty and good and where all of the creative team who are brilliant artists on this, like who are doing very delicate work that is not very noticeable, I think, on a film like this, but where they're all working very hard and very precisely to, to sort of tell that kind of story. And so I would do this sort of thing all the time. I would be like, yeah, give me another set of rules. <laughs> Let's try and make this one good. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's working so ar- around limitations. I was a music composition major in college and so much of it's about you're just trying to construct limitations for yourself to then try to work around them because that's where the yeah. creativity comes that's where the the interest and fun comes from so that's totally because if great. you like you can do anything at all i'm like oh yeah it's like when you're shopping right you can have anything you want <laughs> oh, it's just a lot of choice exactly so before we wrap up, I just wanted to give you the opportunity. Is is there anything that you want to talk about that you don't normally get asked about in interviews or that you would love people to ask you and they they don't? And if there's mm-hmm. nothing there, that's fine too. But just yeah. wanted to give the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I would have talked about those the, those people on the creative team, like Brian, who's the cinematographer and editor, Mirren, the production designer, and the composer and sound designer. They were all just so exceptional on this. But also... Becky, the, the actress who plays Becky, who I really right. love, is oh in Orgland. And that's like a really hard, you know, to come in at the end of like that big process with two actors who you've spent so much time with, you know, off the, on screen. And she's just so dry and excellent. And that would have been a real challenge, but I love her in that role. So, yeah, I always want to, oh, no one ever asked me about her. I mean, at Q&As afterwards, like people do, because she's well loved. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. no, I was like, giddy when she was you know when we finally had that scene with her I was like (laughs) clapping my hands I was like oh my god I love her so much because yeah she just it's it's also we're in a pretty tense place in the movie and she just kind of comes along and in a very deadpan way brings a ton of humor to the situation and it's just it really oh man I I loved I loved that so yeah I know and she's like she's out of school but you can just imagine her in a school uniform just like being as dry as that you know yeah yeah, yeah it's so good. <laughs> also, an, again, a fantastic piece of Nancy's past as well that, that yes. we, we get little snippets of throughout Nancy telling her story, but to have her story told by somebody else is also really interesting right at the end there. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was well, one thing that was really important to me, as well as the film being about Nancy kind of discovering something about herself, not just about, you know, Leo. But it was important that she didn't just change the way that she interacted with him. Like, oh, she's so Mm. nice to him now. It was important that we saw that maybe she wanted to think differently about some of the ways that she'd behaved in the world. And so Becky and her kind of past, you know, as a student really kind of helped to do that, to to see that maybe what she has gone through with Leo and understanding his past and that shame that was laid on him is something that can really shift her way of thinking about other people. Mm. Yeah, that's... So that's a great point. And I, and I love that. And I guess I would hope that not only Nancy, but everyone who watches this movie also comes away thinking, hey, maybe I could, maybe I could do a little better too. <laughs> you know, we're always yeah. trying to improve ourselves. Yeah. And maybe a little better to, uh, to myself. 
like maybe mm, a little absolutely. nicer to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's a great note, I think, to wrap things up on. Thank you so much, Sophie, for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners where and when they can watch this fantastic film and also where they can learn more about you and follow your work? Sure. Yeah, good luck to you. Leo Grand is out already on Hulu, so you can go and watch it um, at your own pleasure. And if you want to find out any more about me, um, I have a collective of filmmakers in Australia called Closer Productions and we make lots of films and you can find out more about me and the other people in it by looking us up. Excellent. Thank you, Sophie. Thanks, guys. That was really fun. Great. It was a good, good, deep conversation. Oh, good. I'm glad. In our social media, the week that this episode will come out, we put up, you know, posts with quotes or little things mentioning the show. Mm -hmm. So... Two of those I pulled from the the press document that your team mm-hmm. sent over. A quote from you that says, do you allow yourself to experience pleasure? And if you don't, then why not? I thought mm-hmm. it was a sort of a cool, intriguing question to get people to come check out this conversation. And then another one is, a truly impassioned and emotionally healthy sex worker is a character we don't see a lot of on screen. So that's another you quote. And then during this episode, you were talking about to young people teaching them first about what pleasure feels like before what it should look like. I, mm-hmm. I modified that just slightly and I was wanted to run this by you and tell me if this is a good quote to attribute to you. And it just says, I wish we could first learn what pleasure feels like before we're taught what it should look like. Yes, I think that's great. Is that cool? Yep. Okay, great. Mm-hmm, just want to cool. make sure that's your, your cool. I sound so interesting and smart. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. Okay, great. Thank you, folks, for tuning in for this fantastic conversation. If you haven't already, definitely go check out the film. We highly recommend it. Our question this week that's going to be on our Instagram stories, we want to hear from you. Is it easy for you or is it difficult for you to accept receiving pleasure? Really interested to hear all of your answers. The best place to share your thoughts about this episode with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.